Amen. You are blessed um, this morning for Jesus Christ has come. Uh, the perfect spotless one. And He has given His life as a ransom for all people. And this morning you can be included in that if you are willing to repent and believe and trust in Him. And uh, I want to say furthermore that you are blessed this morning for... Um, we've been singing some songs that are very rich in theology, teaching, and doctrine. And if you are hearing these words and you're starting to put them to the melody of your heart, I mean, there is a beautiful thing happening. I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but intentionally, when they began to write the hymns, they began to write these songs, they were doing so because they realized that we often can remember much better that which we are singing than that which we simply hear and so now, as, as Brother Corey and these guys, as they lead us in this, we are intentionally singing songs that are pointing us to Christ, that are bringing forth what is rooted in Scripture. And so I want to say, brothers and sisters, you, you are blessed. You're blessed this morning to hear these words and to be able to sing these. And, and if your life is matching and in obedience and surrender to what Christ has done, you are blessed this morning, beloved. You are blessed. This morning, I want to share with you this title or this theme, Groping for God. Um, it's in Acts 17. We're going to pull from specifically verse 27. Then we're going to launch into Luke 24. And I hope to show you from the text why we're doing that. But this morning as we look to Acts 17, we remember Paul, he is there in Athens, Greece. And he has come to the elite thinkers of that day. It's called the Areopagus. And he's on a place that um, we know as Mars Hill. You may have heard of it. And he's speaking to these people. There's Epicureans, there's Stoic philosophers, some of the most elite thinkers of any time period, right, that still have a major impact on us today philosophically and lots of schools of thought. You've probably been impacted by them in some way, whether you know it or not. Paul is there sharing with them. Remember, he's gone around their city. And you remember Paul, it says that he became deeply distressed because he saw the city was full of what? Do you remember? All of these idols, right? There are idols of everything. But then Paul found one. And he says, listen, guys, I found an idol that says it's to an unknown what? To an unknown God. And he says, that God, which is unknown, I proclaim unto you. And he begins to share with them about how God made from one man every people to live on the face of the earth. And I pick up with you verse 26 of Acts 17. He says, listen, God made from one person back to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, listen, we're all connected. He says he made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And then God did something very intentional. God made a determination about periods and boundaries for every nation. He says, listen, God has decided when nations would come on the scene, how long they would stay, how far they would reach. He says, why? Why is God doing this? Well, look what he says. That, right? It kind of clues you in. He said, this is why he's doing it. That they should do several things. Look what he says. Seek God and find Him. This morning... In the midst of seeking God and finding, Paul says, listen, there's something that happens in the midst of our seeking after God. And it's this statement. Look, and this is what I want to grab your attention to today, and we're going to launch forth from it. He says, listen, God's doing all this that we should seek God and perhaps, look what he says here, feel their way toward Him. 
Alright, so depending on your translation, uh, the King James may say, I feel after him. Um, the New International in 1984 says that we are to reach out for him. But if you have the New American Standard, I remind you, again, I'm not trying to go tons technical, but New American Standard falls really rigidly based upon um, the Old Testament, uh, the, the manuscripts, uh, the Hebrew, and also the Aramaic and the Greek, right? So Old, New Testament. It follows really close to what you would see in those original languages. And so sometimes it's a little bit choppy or harder to read. But it, it captures well what's being said, because in the New American Standard, if you have the NASB 95, it says that literally that they are groping after God. Paul says, listen, guys, God has orchestrated everything that we would, in fact, seek God, that we would grope after him. It's an indication of reaching for God. It, it's desiring like, God, I need you. Like there's this movement of God. I want to find you, God. I want to be with you. And look at the beauty of what he says here. He says, guys, I want you to actually know, though, that he's actually, he's not far. And then the statement right here, each one, each one, each and every one of us, God's not far from us. You see the image there? I don't know if any of you remember playing, it was called Blast the Ball. Anybody ever play Blast the Ball or remember Blast the Ball? Uh, my buddies and I, we called it Pop Guns, all right? We didn't know it was technically called Blast the Ball. But um, we used to play this in my buddy's basement, and, and his parents had a finished basement, and so it was kind of like an octagon, and in the middle would be the steps that would come down from the middle floor, like come down to the basement, right? And so you were there. But man, when you shut that basement door, it was literally pitch black. You could, I mean, you could not see your hand in front of your face. And so you got your couple balls there, you got your gun, and we said, all right, game on, man, it was on. And then literally, I mean, some people, I mean, you're, you're like this, I mean, you're like MacGyver, I mean, you know... I mean, it's just everybody's walking around crawling, and all of a sudden you hear it, pow, and a ball will come flying. You don't know. I mean, it may hit you in the face, it may hit the wall, and so you run out of balls, and you're, you're trying to look around and find, trying to find them, but when you run out, you, somebody finally has to call for lights, or there was also a fireplace that was brick around it, and again, you couldn't see it, and usually somebody would be like, ah, and like, lights, right? And they'd be like, it's merely a flesh wound. You're like, your leg's hanging off, dude. Like, it's okay, let's play again. But anyway, listen, that kind of indicates that guess what we have to do a lot? You have to grope around a lot. All right, you would hear a ball come flying over your head. You weren't sure where it went to. And so you were reaching through all this stuff that his parents had in the basement, right? And you're reaching through it trying to find this ball or trying to go find where the lights are and you're doing this. As much as we played, you can't overcome that darkness. It was just intense. And Paul says, listen, that's what often happens with us spiritually. We begin to grope around as if we're in the darkness and that we can't see and we can't find. And so he says, we're struggling. So four times in the New Testament, that word for feel or grope or reach out is used. And so it's used here. It's also used in John, 1 John chapter 1. It's also used in Hebrews. But Luke 24 is an interesting place where it's used. And I want to turn there today. I want us to focus our attention. Interestingly, Luke 24 picks up on Sunday. Sunday after Jesus has been crucified on the cross on Friday. I don't know if you know kind of the time period that lays out, but today is what's called Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And as he begins to come in there, people are literally laying down palm branches, some would throw out their coats. It's a way that you would rep welcome a royalty, right? A king, a someone great conqueror. You're welcoming them and saying, listen, we're glad that you're here. And so that was happening the Sunday before. And by Friday of that week, he will be crucified on the cross. But today we kind of fast forward in the scene to Sunday. And we're going to rewind back to Friday in a moment, but Paul is talking to us about groping for God, and Jesus begins to talk about this groping that happens. Look what he says, though, before we get to that. 
It says as they were talking about these things, it says that Jesus has shown up in a room. He, the door's locked and he just appears there, right? Kind of really freaky, let's be honest, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you, but probably not. Um, but anyway, so look, it says they're talking, the eleven are there. There's eleven. One's now gone. Who is that? Judas. Some of you are considering giving up. You've done too much. God would never take you back. I invite you today. Keep groping. Keep seeking. Keep crying out to God. Don't give up today. It's a humbling number when it says the 11. Whew. It says Jesus stood among them and He says to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit or some translations read there, they think you've seen a ghost. And He says to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? What's interesting about verse 38 of Luke 24 is that this again indicates people that are present like Peter, James, John, Andrew. Right? This is like spiritual elite people. And Jesus says, listen, you guys are struggling to believe. You guys are having, so I don't know if you ever have weak moments in your faith. Guess what? Peter and these guys did too. They had moments when they struggled as well. He says, listen, you guys are doubting. You're struggling. But the interesting part of this is this is the first people to doubt. Because if we rewind the text back a little bit further, we find ourselves a little bit further back in Luke chapter 24, same chapter. It's Sunday morning again, right? Or Sunday soon after the resurrection of Christ. And it says, guess what? We find these two guys and they're on their road to where? Do you remember? Emmaus. Yeah, you probably heard it. Verse 13 and 14 talk about that. And one of the guys' name is Cleopas. And we don't get the indication of the other. But there's two guys and they're walking away, leaving Jerusalem. And they're headed on this road toward Emmaus. Look what happens. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, talking about everything that's happened, all right? Jesus himself, look at this interesting statement. Jesus drew near, but their eyes were kept from recognizing. Isn't there something about that? I mean, really, I think for a moment that may like snapshot or capture who we are apart from Christ. I mean, Jesus can be right there. I mean, the Word of God can be right in front of you. Your grandmother or grandfather could have been sharing it with you time and again. Your parents could be saying, please, baby, please. Look what you're doing. It doesn't match. I mean, but I mean, there is a blinding that is happening. These guys don't recognize that it's Jesus. There's something supernatural at work here. And if you stay with me, you're going to see something beautiful. But I think it's an indication, a reminder to us what's happening spiritually. He can be right in front of us when we miss it. I mean, the Word of God can be right in front of you today. And unless there's a work of the grace of God and there's a drawing and a movement of God's Spirit and there's a stirring, and, and we're going to see it. Let's, let's just watch it happen. Let the text play out. They began to ask him. He says to them, he says, listen, what's this conversation that you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. They looked sad. And they, they say to him, listen. One of them named Cleopas answers and he says, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that they have happened there in these days? He says, listen, don't you, don't you know what's happened? I mean, are you, are you missing out on this? And, and watch what happens. He says to them, guys, what, what, what things are you talking about? Right. And they say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. All right. So, again, we have this topic, Jesus and he says, he's a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we, we had hoped. 
that He was the one to redeem Israel. The word redemption means to buy back or to ransom, right? I mean, to bring someone back. What's interesting is that these guys had hoped that He was the one that would satisfy what they were longing for. They're under Roman oppression, Roman rule, and they're hoping that this Messiah, this one that we had hoped, that He was the guy that would actually get us out of here. I don't know if you've ever been in that in the midst of like you're groping for God. I mean, really, you're, you're kind of after like, God, just get me out of the situation. Like, God, help he, heal this person. God, fix my finances. God, make her text me again, please. Right? I mean, some of it may be more serious. God, just get me home tonight. God, just don't let anybody know about this ever. There's these times when we just want God to get us out of this situation. And listen, there's a natural tendency to that. But I want you to realize that these guys are missing something much more important than temporary for you and I. This is eternal. This is big picture. He's saying, listen, we had hoped that He's the one to redeem Israel. You don't realize that He has. And it's not like just temporary, like under Roman rule, or no matter what you think here about the Estados Unidos. This is something greater. This is like forever redeemed, freed from this world, freed from sin, freed from pain, freed from bondage. Christ brought that. He brought that redemption, but they, they just they don't recognize it. But look what happens here. Kind of some wording that clues us in. He says, listen, guys, this, this Jesus, he's actually, he was a prophet and, and he was mighty in deed and word before God. And he says, and all the people. He's a good man. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 would say that God, this Jesus, had never sinned. The writer of Hebrews says that He was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet was without sin. He had never sinned. So how could someone like that be, according to the text, condemned to death? Right? I mean, how could a man like that die? I mean, what man that has never sinned? And we might ask that question even. I mean, like, who's the guy that's never sinned? Who is this person? And then we read the text that they crucified Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, speak of capital punishment by hanging someone on the tree. And it says, if you hang on someone on the tree, they must be down by nightfall. And then this little final epitaph comes in verse 23 of Deuteronomy 21. And whoever is hung on a tree is cursed by God. You see, when you read throughout, especially Paul's letters, and you hear him say that Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews, the struggle is, how could anyone that was truly the Messiah, the promised Savior, experience God's curse? They're like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, the the law says that anyone that's hung on a tree is cursed by God. Unless, of course, he's not suffering for his curse, but for yours. The substitutionary atonement of Christ. Your substitute. Your Redeemer. The one that's paying your penalty. And let's, let's be honest. This, this begins to lead us somewhere. It begins to cause us to grope toward God and say, what's happening here? Well, Jesus tells us, remember, Friday Jesus dies on the cross. We're on Sunday following His resurrection. But if we rewind the story back further, we find ourselves on Thursday evening. On Thursday evening is what's called the Last Supper. And the Jewish people there are celebrating the Passover. And you're saying, Blake, what's the Passover? Let's get to it just for a moment. He says in verse 18, let's, let's kind of recount the story. Luke 22. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom is coming, brothers. Sisters, the kingdom of God is coming. Not might, not hopefully, not will. It is 
coming. It is a certainty. It will come. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, you have to understand something about the Passover to see what Jesus is doing here. If you remember much about the people of Israel, they were in bondage for how many years in, in Egypt? 400, right? They were in bondage 400 years. And God begins to raise up these plagues and begin to deliver his people. And he finally says, listen, the 10th is going to be the greatest of all. And he says, I want you guys to know that at, at night, the angel of death is going to pass through the land. And anyone that does not have what over the doorpost? Blood. That they were, to, they were to sacrifice a lamb and they were to put the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. He says, when the, the angel of death sees the blood, they will pass over and your firstborn will not be killed. I'm guessing those doorposts were dripping. And that very night, the angel of death passed through the land and all the homes of the Egyptians that did not have the blood covering it. Their firstborns were killed, even to the king, the emperor, Pharaoh, who called himself God. Even his son was killed. And Jesus says to these guys, hey guys, you remember that? You remember hearing those stories? I want you to know that something greater is now here. And it's the blood, my blood, on the cross. And it just doesn't pardon your baby on this life. This is eternal redemption. My blood is forever saving you. It is forever pardoning you. You are forever free and covered by my love and my abundant grace. This is my blood for you. It is the hope only that Christ can bring. It is the necessity of the cross. In fact, that's what Jesus is going to say in just a moment. Look what he says, though, before they get there. Back in our story, again, he's walking along the road to Amaze with these two guys. And they say, hey, listen, we had hoped that he was the one. But then they make this interesting statement that is just it doesn't make sense to me. Listen to this just for a moment. And listen, Jesus, beside all this, it's now the third day. So he was crucified on Friday, buried Friday. That's in the grave. Yep, Saturday's in the grave. Sunday's still in the grave. But on the power of God, but on Sunday morning, third day, he, he's a, it's the third day. And look what he says. And some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And they didn't find his body. They came back saying they had a vision. They had seen angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us, they took off truck into the tomb. And guess what? When they got there, he was gone. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you have lost a loved one before? You lost somebody you love and care about. Was it a family member, friend? You, you got somebody you love. Let's imagine that we buried them this past Friday. Local cemetery here. And this Sunday morning, some of you, family member, whatever, you went to that graveside. You were going to put some flowers on there on Sunday morning. And when you got there, the dirt was moved back and that casket was cracked open and there was nobody there. And somebody else says, I got there and there were some angels there. And listen, they're saying that they're alive. Now, how many of you, how many of you that raised your hand that you've lost someone you love would say, you know what? I don't know really what's up with that, but I think I'm just going to take off to Walmart and chill out there today. I mean, these guys have left. Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. I mean, I read that and think, guys, why are you leaving? And then it strikes me. Romans 3 and 11. There is no one who seeks God, no one who does good. We have all turned away. These guys are groping for God and they've gone the wrong direction. And God said to me, Blake, that's the same with you and the same with everyone. And some of you are there today. You've gone the wrong direction. And today is an encounter with grace. 
It's grace for the groping. Even today, you may be on the wrong course. You're walking away from the cross. And Jesus encounters them walking away. They're leaving Him. And His grace, though, He still shows up. In His kindness, He is still there. I mean, these guys have heard this. I mean, come on, fellas. What are you doing? And there's the grace of God for the gropers. And then this statement is made. I don't have the text on the screen. I, I, I somehow overlooked that and didn't make it happen. But in verse 26 of Luke 24, I'm just going to read it here. It says, um, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And I want to draw your attention there today. I want to try to throw maybe three things I want to make sure you, you don't miss today. There may be a lot, but don't miss this. First, don't miss this. It was necessary that Christ would suffer. And if you're wondering why it was necessary, I hope you were listening to the songs we sang because, man, they laid out some beautiful reasons this morning of why it was necessary. I mean, but maybe, might we ask, Mary said that statement, verse 26, it was necessary that Christ should suffer. Does that indicate that maybe our sin is more serious than we thought? That maybe good people really don't end up in heaven? That there's something necessitating that Christ would actually suffer? It was in the beginning. Genesis 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. And then on the sixth day, He created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. And He placed them in this Garden of Eden. And He says, listen, you guys are free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. He says, for the day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. And it says that soon after, Satan comes in the form of a snake and tempts Eve. And she takes the tree and she eats it. And she hands some to her husband who's there with her. And he also eats. Now, they don't physically die immediately, but spiritual death takes place. And here's what happens when you and I sin so often. It says that they ran and they found fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves and hide from God. And that's what some of you are doing. You have, ri- you have run from God because of your sin and your shame. You're trying to cover it with everything that you can cover it with. You're trying to pretend like He doesn't know or see today. But God came looking for them. And when he found them, what he had to do was, as he said, listen, guys, that's not going to cover you. And it says that we kind of see them as they begin to exit out of the garden. God has to, they're cast out of God's garden. They can't take now from the tree of, the, of life and live forever because they, they've broken God's command. That's literally what the Bible means. It calls it sin. When you and I disobey what God's word says, it says we miss the mark. But God puts animal skin on them. And he covers them. There's a sacrifice that's made. Soon after, God will raise up a man by the name of Moses and give him the law. I don't know how much you know about it today, but He gives them a law that they are to obey and to follow. And it also gives a sacrificial system of how they are when they sin. Here's the things that they need to do. But Hebrews 10 and 4 says that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to ever take away sin. Thus, it was necessary for a perfect substitute. But no one was perfect until, until Christ came. But Christ is God, but in fact, He was born of a woman and He became flesh. Therefore, He could also become your human substitute. Fully God, therefore sinless. And fully man, therefore your human substitute. Now, there is a perfect sacrifice that can once and for all take away your sin. He says, it is necessary that Christ would suffer. He says, listen, nobody else could do this. No one else could bring this about. This brings about some great implication for us through the text. Look what it says. This is maybe the second thing I would throw out, with, throw out to you today. Say, listen, don't miss this. Listen to what Jesus does. This is absolutely crucial. Verse 27 of Luke 24. And he begins with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
Do you see what Jesus did to verify his resurrection, to verify the fact that Christ was to be crucified? He pointed them to the Word. That's what you and I are called to do, brothers and sisters. This is interesting that Jesus is there in the flesh. This is the resurrected Christ. And he's still using the scriptures to point everyone to him. In fact, this begins to tell us that the scriptures, as you look Old Testament and New Testament, does in fact point to someone somewhere. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised Savior. And he is doing a great and mighty work. So look what he says. He's at the table with them and he begins to break the bread. He blesses it and gives it to them. Verse 30 of Luke 24. And it says, and their eyes were open and they recognized him. Boom, their eyes are open. And almost immediately he vanishes from their sight. And then they make this statement, verse 32. And this is absolutely, again, this is important you catch this today. They say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And look what he says here. While he opened to us what? Scriptures. It's pretty big. Jesus is present, but he's still sharing the word of God. Stop cheapening his word. Stop selling his word short as if it's not sufficient to teach your Sunday school class or to share with your friend or your neighbor or your co-worker as if this word's not enough. This is the resurrected Christ and he's pointing to the word. He's saying, this word is enough. And these guys are saying, listen, man, has he shared that word within us? There was a burning of my heart. When's the last time your heart burned? I'm not talking about heartburn, right? Like I need a tagaman or I need some Tums or Rolex. Give me some relief. I'm saying last time spiritually that your heart burned. I mean, we, did, we desperately desire that for our community and family. But let's start praying just right now. God, start with me. I need my heart burning again. Isn't it interesting that the Scriptures that begin to ignite this flame by the work of the Holy Spirit as the resurrected Christ speaks? And this brings us to our statement of why we even ended up in Luke 24 to begin with. Remember what Jesus says when He shows up there and to the eleven, the others that are gathered, and He says, guys, why are you troubled and why do your doubts arise in your heart? He says, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. And then He makes this statement. Touch me. Touch me is the same word that Paul uses in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, when he says that God did all of these things with the nations, that we should seek God and feel our way or grope toward Him and find Him. Jesus says, come touch me. Come touch me. Now, it's interesting. Jesus says, listen, guys, look what He points up to. He says, see, see my hands, guys. You need to see my feet. He says, why? The first implication is for. Why? He says, because he wants them to know that he is actually flesh and bones. This is a physical resurrected Christ. In fact, many will say, listen, y'all got a fish fry? I need some food. No, it's broiled, I know. Say, Blake, stay literal. It's broiled, I know. I wasn't saying that. I'm not breaking for the text. But anyway, I was trying to make context, um, maybe culturally. So anyway, listen, Jesus is saying, it's me. I'm real. It's a physical resurrection. You say, well, Blake, that's really cool for those guys. But like, for me, I don't get to touch him. Why might he be asking them to touch him? Well, let's just walk through that for a moment. In John chapter 20, verse 25, the other disciples tell this guy by the name of Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas says to them, what do you, how do you know Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? Oh, DT. Oh, DT right here shows up and he can't seem to get over the statement DT over this one moment in his life. He says, listen, unless I see those hands of the mark of the nails... I want to place my finger 
in the mark of the nails. He said, I want to see where those nails were. I don't believe it. He's groping after God, saying, God, if this is true, I, I want some proof. Guess what? He gets it eight days later. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and all the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them again, like, what? Dude, you stop that for real. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Interesting. This is the resurrected Christ. When he stands before you for all eternity, brothers and sisters, those nail scars will be there. That beautiful side that was pierced for you, those feet that had those stakes driven in for all eternity. I don't know what all is going to happen in heaven, but maybe you're, you're, you're I like to play basketball. Maybe me and Jesus one on one. Can you imagine when he just walls up on me? I'm like, dude, seriously, got to stop that, bro. Can you imagine? This is the resurrected Christ with the scars. But His people would never forget it. That you and I would never get over it. Can you imagine as we stand or we fall to our faces in triumphant procession for all eternity and the, the Lamb of God strides forth and He stretches forth His hands and says, I loved you this much. It's the proof. The validity. Thomas says, listen. He says, listen, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. You say, well, Blake, that's great for Thomas. That would be so awesome for me. If, if Jesus would just show up here today, I would believe. If I could just take Jesus back to my school, then everybody would believe. If I could take Him to my family and my co-workers, they might believe. Listen to what Jesus says. Thomas says, Then my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then this statement right here, I want you to etch this in your mind. Blessed are those who have, look what he says here, not seen and yet have what? It's possible. Jesus says it's possible. It is possible to not see the resurrected Christ and yet believe on his name for salvation. It is possible. You say, well, Blake, how? If that's possible, I just need to know the way. You tell me that, I'll take that to my friends, I'll take that to my community, I'll take that to the nations. Good, 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 good. Listen to what John says in verse 30 of John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many of the signs of the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, and then he makes this statement, so that. Why did John write this? Look what he says. So that you may what? He says, the word of God is here that you may believe. The Word of God is sufficient. You're wondering, what could I take to my community if I could just make Jesus just show up, poof, on the scene, like a genie in a bottle? He says, no, you have the Word of God that you can believe. Even though you can't physically see Him, you can see Him through the eyes of faith. There's a resurrected Christ. Look what He says. That he, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? Life in His name. Not just life here. He's saying eternal life. So the Word of God is sufficient. In fact, that's what Jesus used. Do you see that? Jesus Himself, even the resurrected Christ, pointed them to the Scriptures and said, My Word is sufficient, guys. One final thing that I want to show you as we come to a close. He says to them back in Luke chapter 24, again, the eleven are gathered there. The two that have been on the road to Emmaus have come. The others, others have gathered around this upper room. He says to them, verse 44 of Luke 24, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says, my word is enough, y'all. The word is true. It points to me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's a powerful statement. That's something I pray continually. God, open my mind. Acts 16 and 14, God, opened the heart of Lydia to respond or pay attention to Paul's message. 
God, open my heart. Open the heart of others. God, open our minds to Your Word. And then what He says, and He says to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He says, listen, this should be proclaimed. That there's repentance of sins, there is forgiveness, and it's only in Jesus' name, and it should go to all nations. That's Jesus' will, that's His desire, that's His clear command. And then He makes a statement here, and this is kind of the third thing I want to just maybe just grasp onto as we close. I want you to see just kind of what Jesus does to bring this about. And behold, I am sending you, look what He says here, the promise of My Father upon you. There's a promise. Now, if Jesus is sending it, He's telling the Holy Spirit what to do. That indicates that He is fully God. No one has the power to say, Holy Spirit, would you just do this right now? Holy Spirit, can you do that right now? Holy Spirit, could Jesus... And to be able to send the Holy Spirit, He said He must ascend back to His Father. A clear indication of His resurrection... He says, listen, guys, I want you to know there's a, it's a promise of my Father and I'm going to send it. And that's what He does on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But then this is the second P. But stay, He says. Stay in the city. He says, listen, you guys, you've got to pause. This is interesting. He's telling these guys who have walked with Him. These guys who have seen Him crucified on the cross. These guys who have seen Him buried and now by the power of God raised again. And He tells them, just wait. Guys, wait. Pause. I know you, you want to go out there and beat every door down. I know you, I know, I, I know, I know you guys. I know, I know. But he says, church, you need to pause. He said, if you guys want to accomplish my mission to take this to all the nations, if you want to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins, tell the community, tell your family. He says, I want you to know what you need. And you need to wait. You need to wait. This is how important the Holy Spirit is. And that's where he kind of comes to a close with right here. This final power. Look what he says here. But stay, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. He says, listen, church, you want to know how to reach the nations? Take my gospel in my power and tell everyone. So, so if you're here, maybe you're new, or maybe you've been here a long time, you say, Blake, kind of what's the direction of the church? Like, what are we after? Like, how are we going to accomplish it? Like, what's our intentional game plan? It's teaching and preaching this Word that you could be equipped, and that you, filled with God's Holy Spirit in you, could take the Gospel of the nations. To your family, to this community, to your job, to your school. That's the primary focus of the New Testament church. Are we going to have events and do different things at times? Yes, absolutely. In fact, Monday morning at 6.50, come meet at Green County High School. We're welcoming students back. Just tell them we're celebrating you guys. We're glad that you're back. We love you. We support you as a community. Come, just cheer them on. Just, woo! I know they're high schoolers and they're going to be really excited about that. I know it. I know it. But listen, Jesus says, Church, I have given you guys my word and I have given you my spirit. And that is sufficient. Today, have you come under submission to this Word? Have you experienced the forgiveness of sins by repentance and belief and trust in Christ? That's, it was necessary. We've already shared the Gospel with you this morning. I'm not going to go back through it. You, you've heard it. And now, for those that are in Christ already, you have been given God's Spirit to empower you to now take this good news to your family, to your friends, the community, and to the nations. 
It is the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. I want you to know so often we forget to add this or talk about this at all. We're sharing with people about what it means to be saved. It's not only that your sins are forgiven. Yes, praise God. It's not only that you are declared righteous. You are declared holy as God is holy in his sight. God also gives you his Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. To empower you to say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. You're struggling with sin? Guess what? Join the club. We all are. You want to know how you will overcome that? Not by the best you. By the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. Guided by the Word of God. Surrounded by the community of God. For the glory of God. It is the greatness of God to do that. Do you know that? You have the Holy Spirit. God is in you. You say, Blake, I don't know enough. I'm not up on the culture enough. you got the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Go, go start with that. Let's take it to the world. How does God want to use you? Have you trusted and believed on Him? Have you experienced? Today, are you groping toward God? And God, and through a lot of different situations, circumstances, has sent you here today, and you've heard the Word of God, and God is speaking to you. Your heart is burning. You don't even know the right questions, maybe all the answers. But you know that there is something about Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was crucified and buried and raised again. You know there's something about His forgiveness, His blood that is covered. You say, Blake, I, if, it, if it saved those people, those firstborns, I want it to save me for all eternity. This eternal blood, this perfect blood of Jesus, if it's that great, I want that over my life. Or would you put your belief and trust in Christ? Today, would you just bow your knee here and now and say, God, Father, forgive me, I am sinful. God, you know everything I've done, everywhere I've been, every person I've been with. You know everything I've said, everything I've thought, every motive of my heart. God, nothing's hidden before you. Lord, I've heard your word, God. Your word says that you're willing to forgive sinners. You are patient. You are kind. You are gracious. You are loving. Your grace covers even the worst of sins. Oh, God. Oh, God, I know I'd love to sit down and talk with you, but, Lord, your word is sufficient. It's enough. God, you, you are talking to me through your word by the power of your spirit this morning. Oh, God, I, I just I, I trust, I confess that Jesus Christ, he is my Lord. He is my Savior. He, I confess that he died in my place. I, 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 I want to receive his sacrifice for me, his blood over my life. God, that I would be pardoned, that I would be forgiven, that I could be redeemed. I could live with you forever. Oh, God, I know it's nothing to me. It's not even a perfect prayer. Am I right words right now? It's only Jesus. Oh, God, please stir that in the hearts of these people. God, stir in the hearts of this community and this nation and this world. Oh, God, that we would go in the power of your spirit proclaiming your word. Oh, God, burn the hearts of your people this morning. God, I don't have the strength. I can't do that, God, but you can. Oh, God, light a fire in this place. Ignite your people, God, with a passion for the world. Oh, God, please, I'm begging of you this morning. God, please, Lord Jesus, just strengthen your people when they're tempted. God, we are weak. Oh, God, strengthen us today. Oh, God, fill us with grace. Let us forgive those that have offended us. Oh, God, please, let us be forgiving like you are to us. Oh, God, unify us today. Heal marriages, God. Please, Lord, I know you can do it. Oh, God, please, your people need healing. They need a touch from you. Oh, God, you're the great healer. You've conquered death in the grave, God. There's nothing you can't do. Oh, God, please, Lord, touch your people today, God. Please, I ask this of you only in the name of Jesus. God, he's our only authority. We come only in his name. God, please. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you use a babbler like me to proclaim this beautiful truth.
Oh, God. Thank you, Lord. Please, God. Please, God. Open minds and hearts to hear and respond. And may people put their faith and trust in you today. I ask in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.